Brought to you by PrayLatin.com, makers of prayer cards featuring complete English phonetic renderings of Latin pronunciations. Normally I save things like this for the weekend, lately, last letters from bishops and things, but this one is important enough that you really should hear this. In fact, various uh, theologically minded Catholics, laity, who generally are associated with the various positions of resisting Rome and its heresies right now, have recommended that people read this and read it in full, and that's what I'm going to do for you here to make this easier for you to digest. What I have for you today is a letter from Bishop Athanasius Schneider. We are in the midst of summer right now, but the fall sessions for the Synod on Synodality, the Synod of Bishops, loom large. They are coming soon, and they will be hammering out the final details of the Synod on Synodality and what it's going to try to impose on the Church. And the Instrumentum Laboris has made it clear that we are in for a rough ride, folks. And now we have, a, we have essentially what amounts to as a letter to the public from Bishop Schneider, who is warning us that the Synod on Synodality doesn't represent Catholicism at all, that it is undermining the faith. Some have asked how is it that he gets away with this stuff while Bishop Strickland is punished for the things that he does and says, when he says, when Schneider actually says worse things, and it's actually pretty simple. Schneider is merely an auxiliary bishop. Punishing him by removing him from his office would actually free him up to go travel more. He has actually been restricted in the amount of travel he can do. This is, you may have noticed that in the last few years, he doesn't travel nearly as much as he used to, and he now does his conference of talks and things, usually via Zoom and Skype and those kinds of things. He had been restricted a few years ago, and that actually makes that actually made the news, and we all reported on it when it happened. If they were to punish him by removing him from his office, guess what would happen? He would be completely free to go and speak to anybody he wanted to. He would be free, because of his Episcopal consecration, to go work with groups like the SSPX and others if he so wanted to. Food for thought for those of you who kind of have that question. So this article comes from Catholic culture, or the Catholic thing.org, rather, and I'm just going to give it to you in full here. Again, if you want to read it, I have it linked in today's show notes at returntotradition.org, so go ahead and check it out there. A New Synodal Church Undermines the Catholic Church by Bishop Athanasius Schneider, published on Thursday, June 29th, June 2023. Uh, that is the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. Many questions have arisen about the current synodal process, and therefore, in order to be of service to Christ's flock, I would like to address some important points of the Instrumentum Laboris for the October 2023 session of the Synod on Synodality. This working document or instrumentum appears to undermine the divine constitution and the apostolic character of the life and mission of the Catholic Church. Substituting for them an invented synodal church inspired predominantly by Protestant, social, and anthropocentric categories. Below are several principal areas of concern. The divine constitution of the church is undermined. Episcopal authority is undermined by the instrumentum laboris in two principal ways. First, by demanding a, quote, greater involvement of all the faithful and thus a less exclusive exercise of the bishop's role, and by fostering a, quote, community discernment process. Second, by making episcopal authority depend dependent on and accountable to non-hierarchical advisory bodies following secular institutions. Papal authority is undermined in two principal ways. First, by suggesting that, quote, the convergence of several groups of local churches, particular councils, Episcopal conferences, etc., on the same issue should, quote, commit the Bishop of Rome to address it at the level of the universal church. 
Second, by suggesting that, quote, local institutions in different regions may, quote, adopt different approaches than the Bishop of Rome, which he ought to accept. Let's pause here for a moment. What he is saying here is that the Pope can be have his hand forced by local bishops. Now, I want you to think about the consequences of that. Take all the time you need. It has always been in the post-conciliar era that some of the most heinous errors, including communion in the hand, the presence of altar girls at the altar, and all sorts of these other things, started in the local dioceses and spread across into the Episcopal conferences, meaning like the USCCB and places like that. Now they're saying that the Pope can have his hand forced by these organizations. And now, and I want you to think about that in the context of the German Sonata Way. Let's continue. But the following magisterial affirmation remains valid. Quote, the successor of Peter is the rock which guarantees a rigorous fidelity to the word of God against arbitrariness and conformism. The hierarchical structure of the church is undermined by an ambiguous use of the word ministry, which is unhelpfully attributed to both the ordained and the non-ordained, as when it attempts, quote, to foster an understanding of ministries that is not reduced to ordained ministry. But the following magisterial affirmations remain valid. It must be recognized that the language becomes uncertain, confused, and therefore not useful for expressing the doctrine of the faith. Whenever in any way the difference of, quote, essence and not only of degree between the baptismal priesthood and the ordained priesthood is blurred. Only in the virtue of sacred ordination does it, ministry, obtain that fullness and univocity of meaning that tradition has always attributed to it. The hierarchical structure of the church is also undermined by imposing facilitators who will accompany communities at all levels of ecclesial life, and by making the following a priority. Calling for the issue of women's participation in governance, decision-making, mission, and ministries at all levels of the church. But the following magisterial affirmations remain valid. It will also be necessary to ensure that every level, in language, in teaching, in pastoral practice, in governance choices, the sacred ministry is presented in its ontological specificity, which does not allow fragmentation or undue appropriation. The unity of the sacrament of holy order is undermined by calling the church to question the diaconal ordination of women. Call for the question of women's inclusion in the diaconate to be considered. But the following magisterial affirmations remain valid. The church has no authority whatsoever to confer priestly ordination on women and that this judgment is to be definitively held by all the church's faithful. And because the sacrament of ordination is one, women cannot be sacramentally ordained at all. Divinely revealed moral law is undermined in three principal ways. First, there are grave omissions by the absence of any discussion of sin, the Ten Commandments, and the virtue of chastity. Second, the so-called James Martin movement is implicitly promoted, which includes promoting the James Martin activities and the current all-encompassing, all-gripping ideology of the mutability of flesh. Thus, the instrumentum laboris laments that those who do not feel accepted in the church, such as James Martin Catholics, and it calls the church to welcome those who feel excluded from the church because of their status or their inclinations, for example, James Martin types, etc. But the following magisterial affirmations remain valid. The principles of respect and non-discrimination cannot be invoked to support legal recognition of the James Martin pairings. The denial of the social and legal status of the sacrament of marriage to forms of cohabitation that are not and cannot be marital is not opposed to justice. On the contrary, justice requires it. Third, immorality regarding the sacrament is implicitly promoted when the document laments those, quote, who do not feel accepted in the church, such as the divorced and remarried, people in, <laughs> can't believe I'm saying this, 
poly unions and when it calls the church, quote, to welcome those who feel excluded because of their status or inclinations of the flesh, for example, remarried divorcees, people in such relationships, etc. But the following magisterial affirmations remain valid. As far as the sphere of the flesh is concerned, we know the firm position Jesus Christ took in defense of the indissolubility of marriage, and the condemnation pronounced also against the simple adultery of the heart. Is it realistic to imagine a permissive Christ in the field of married life in matters of the Moloch ritual uh, relations of the flesh of various kinds the world likes? Certainly the primitive Christian community, taught by those who had known Christ personally, was not permissive. The numerous passages in the Pauline letters that touch on this matter, let's see, Romans chapter 1, verse 26, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, the letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 19, are certainly not lacking in clarity and rigor, and they are words inspired from above. They remain normative for the church of all times. It is not licit to impart a blessing on relationships or partnerships, even stable, that involve activities of the flesh outside of marriage outside the indissoluble union of man and woman, open it to in itself to the transmission of life. The blessing of such unions cannot be considered illicit. This is because they would constitute a certain imitation or analog of the nuptial blessing invoked on the man and woman united in the sacrament of matrimony. While in fact, there are absolutely no grounds of considering such pairings to be in any way similar or even remotely analogous to God's plan for marriage and family. And that citation is to Pope Francis himself, his apostolic exhortation of Mors Laetitia. The life and, uh, and mission of the church is undermined. The apostolic and supernatural character of the life and mission of the church is undermined in three principal ways. First, there are grave omissions by the absence of a discussion of Eucharistic adoration, the cross of Christ and man's final end in eternity. Second, there is a worldly bureaucratization of the church, the promotion of a kind of Neopelagian heresy of action through an increase of structures and meeting sessions with the keywords consensus building and decision making used as if the church were a human focused business. Third, there is a subjectivist Pentecostalization of the life of the church by presumptuously attributing to human dialogue, non-official prayers, and mutual exchange of views a vague spiritual quality such as the conversation in the spirit, called by the Holy Spirit, protagonism of the spirit. But the following magisterial affirmations remain valid. The church is, by its very nature, a reality different from mere human societies, and that therefore it is necessary to affirm that the mentality and praxis existing in certain cultural socio-political currents of our time cannot be automatically transferred to the church itself. Other grave harms are committed. First, the apostolic law of priestly celibacy in the Latin rite is undermined by calling for, quote, a reflection be opened concerning the discipline on access to the priesthood for married men, at least in some areas. Second, a materialistic ideology of ecology is promoted by pr prioritizing caring for the common home and claims that the thermometer problem calls for the commitment of the whole human family, working together to care for our common home. But the following magisterial affirmation remain valid. There's a lack of respect for the life, the right to life and to a natural death, if human conception, gestation, and birth are made artificial, if uh, the most vulnerable are sacrificed to research, the conscience of society ends up losing the concept of human ecology, and along with it, that of environmental ecology. Our duties towards the environment are linked to our duties towards the, uh, the human person, considered in himself and in relation to others. In conclusion, the Instrumentum Laboris for the October 2023 session of the Synod on Synodality essentially promotes, albeit in a more sophisticated manner, the same heterodox ideas put forward by the German Synodal Path.
It substitutes the one holy Catholic and apostolic church with a fantasy synodal church that is worldly, bureaucratic, anthropocentric, neo-Pelagian, and hierarchically and doctrinally vague, all the while masking these features behind unctuous expressions such as conversation in the spirit. But we do not believe in, nor would anyone give his life for, a synodal church. We believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church founded by our Lord Jesus Christ, and we hold fast to his unchanging divine truth, for which countless Catholic martyrs have shed their blood. Signed, June 29th, 2023, on the Solemnity of the Apostles Saints Peter and Paul, Bishop Athanasius Schneider, Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of St. Mary in Estonia. A bit of a barn burner of a letter there, isn't it? The Synod on Synodality is error laid upon error upon error, and this is why it represents a new religion. You cannot come into conflict with the magisterium of the church, the timeless teachings, the immemorial teachings of the faith, going back to antiquity on so many different levels and not have it be a schismatic act. And that is what we're seeing here. The synod on synodality is schismatic. Take the time, all the time you, you need to understand what that means. Think about that for a second. So many bishops, the papacy itself leading this. And I'll leave you with this thought. You know, people don't think about Fatima usually in July, but here we are now in the midst of the synod and synodality, and I'm reminded that Our Lady of Fatima, apparently in the Third Secret, according to different cardinals who all said to have read the document in the presence of Pius Twelfth or John the Twenty-Third or John Paul II, they all said the same thing. The Third Secret of Fatima isn't about an attempt to remove the sitting pontiff from the from the equation. The third secret of Fatima is about an apostasy in the church that comes from the very top. Numerous bishops, cardinals, all said that they read it in the presence John the Twenty Third, Pius the Twelfth, and John Paul the Second all said that. Think about the implications of that with the synod on synodality here. Let me know what you think of this in the comments, please. And again, once again, if you want to read this for yourself, as I didn't put the text of it on the screen for you like I normally do because some of the contents of it, if you'd like to read it for yourself, you can find it linked at returntotradition.org in today's show notes. Let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please, and like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help as to sharing this on social media. That helps a lot, too. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.